Swing and a high fly ball, belted. First home run for Acuna as a tape measure shot in Cincinnati. There's a deep drive to center field. Get up, ball. Get out of here. And gone. Home run number one for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 34 regular season home runs for the now 21-year-old Juan Soto. That is hit in the air to right and way out of here. Wow. Hey, everybody, and welcome in to episode 10 of the Prospects 365 Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Butler. You can follow me on Twitter at Prospects365. You can also read my work and the work of a fantastic writing staff at Prospects365.com. We are recording episode 10 on Sunday night, so a belated happy Easter to those of you who are celebrating the holiday. I'm joined for this episode by Chris from Baseball Pods. You probably know him from his already massive Twitter uh, following his audience on Twitter already. You can follow him on Twitter at Baseball Pods. He has also recently launched a website that's baseball-pods.com. We're going to dive into a lot of the content that has already been published on the site. There are already prospect rankings, uh, some redraft stuff as well, and of course kind of his ideology and philosophy for listening to the many baseball fantasy baseball podcasts that he does chris how's it going it's going great happy easter Ray. yeah happy easter so we're not going to talk about this too long because i know if you if you have listened to every episode of or at least the recent episodes of the prospects 365 fantasy baseball podcast we have spent a lot of mileage here lately talking about chris's fantasy baseball bracketology tournament that's been going on on twitter uh, the past couple of weeks, but because we have the man himself here with us for this episode, we are going to talk about it a little bit. Of course, this podcast episode will be published probably late Sunday night, so you'll probably be listening to it throughout the day on Monday or Tuesday. This is championship week. Prospects 365 is a 10 seed. We have been lucky and fortunate enough to advance to the Sweet 16. Tomorrow in the Sweet 16, we play the three-seed pitcher list, who a lot of people are considering now the favorite to win the entire tournament. So, of course, we will have our work cut out for us. Then the Elite Eight is on Tuesday. The Final Four is on Wednesday. And the championship is Thursday. Is that right, Chris? That's right. Awesome. So, I want kind of your thoughts. And, of course, I'm not going to ask you to choose sides or be partial or anything (laughs) like that. But I am asking kind of as the person who created and constructed this tournament, and I think you could probably make the argument if you wanted to, that you listen to just about as many fantasy baseball-driven podcasts as anyone. So through two rounds of this tournament, what are kind of your biggest takeaways from the outcomes in the first and second round? Yeah, it's been really interesting. I mean, first of all, obviously, I think we've, I mean, the tournament has gotten a lot more attention than anyone dreamed it would because of the unfortunate situation where we're all home, but at least hopefully it's given some people some, uh, something fun to, uh, you know, to distract them. And mostly the reason I started the tournament is the same reason I started the Twitter account, which is just to promote the great work that people do on base fantasy baseball podcasts. And, um, you know, it's just been great. We, uh, I was sharing with Ray before the show that we have over 30,000 votes um, so far. And uh, I was the, there was a really tight race where one of your fellow prospectors, uh, is it the Welsh, uh, lost by either one vote or three votes. We couldn't quite tell because Twitter only gives you the 10th decimal point. So it was either one vote or three votes to wrote a wire. And um, in Race, they were in that race there I looked there were over 8300 uh, impressions like so people looked at that poll voted in it and or looked at it 80 over 8,000 times just in that one vote so it just goes to show you like a lot of people uh, have really gotten into it and for me it's great because a lot of uh, kind of independent and smaller podcasts have gotten a little bump and um, and everybody I think universally has told me hey um, I didn't know there were this many fantasy baseball podcasts and 
not all of them are for everybody. That's fine. But trying to put some shine on ones that haven't quite gotten the, uh, you know, they don't have the the, the comp- big companies behind them like the Rotowire or CBS or or whatever. It's I think it's been great. the The takeaways are interesting. Number one, and I said this, and I'm not saying this on because I'm on a prospect show. I've said this on other shows that I've been on. Um, prospect uh, podcasts, man. Y'all have some. Y'all have some folks. I mean, like you took down, uh, you know, uh, a, a big dog um, that uh, was really impressive. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, is it the Welsh almost took down Rotowire, which I consider the number one overall seed coming into the tournament. That's the way they were seeded anyway. And I look at the uh, the Rasball prospects guys, and that show hasn't been active for a little while. Um, and they took down a big dog. So I just, and there's a number of other pro- prospects. And actually it's funny um, on my, on the, on the baseball dash, dash pods website. Um, if you look, I do uh, five different tools. It's kind of a joke based on the scouting of a five tool player in baseball a podcast. But one of them is to be able to talk about prospects. And what I said uh, on a recent, on another podcast I was a guest on recently was you don't have to be the prospect expert but you better know one and get them on that show regularly because there is not any kind of format. And I play in just about every kind of format of fantasy baseball. There is not any kind of format, including redraft where you do not need to have a good, you don't have to know the top 500 prospects, but you better have a very good idea of who the best prospects are. that are going to be impacting the league in the coming year. Yeah. I was on a uh, bench with Bubba last week and we were talking about the fact that it wasn't that long ago that dynasty leagues were not overly popular in the fantasy baseball world and now you kind of turn the page maybe five to ten years later and I think there's a valid argument that that is the most quickly growing format in fantasy baseball I don't really think it's there's much of a discussion to be had Uh, I it has really filled my heart with joy because after every day, and there's been some upsets along the way, like you said, Chris Welsh uh, with Prospect One, he almost upset the uh, Rotowire podcast, which of course was the top overall seed in the tournament. We were fortunate enough at Prospects 365 to uh, beat one of my favorite podcasts in the athletic. And yep. I mentioned that in my last, last episode. I look up to each and every one of those hosts on that podcast. They all are elite and what they do and what they cover throughout the industry. But it's filled my heart with joy to look at the mentions when you post, uh, post the results after voting is ended. And there have been those upsets. You're seeing even in the replies, people are surprised that the, the prospect focused podcasts are doing so well. I know I, you know, looking, I am very uh, intentional with, the consistency in which I view how many clicks our content is getting on our site and our podcasts get each episode. And I do think that this tournament has led to a rather significant bump about not only the number of people that uh, have listened to the recent episodes, but simply the number of people who know about our podcast. And that is probably easily one of the best things about this tournament. Not only is it kind of shining a light on the up and coming uh, podcast, but it's also, it just so happened, unfortunately, to kind of fall in the perfect time to where people have a lot of free time on their hands and they're able to uh, digest uh, more content. And that means more podcasts as well. Based on your, is it pronounced MAPS, M A P P S? Yeah. What, without being biased at all, if you can. What has been the most surprising part or maybe the most surprising outcome so far to you? Well, I think, like I said, I mean, I think the, uh, I'll do the, the most surprising part to me has been just the sheer number of people who do listen to independent podcasts. You know, you guys, we talked about some of the prospect podcasts, just to name some of the other ones that don't have that focus, but just looking at bat flip crazy. I mean, I, I think I said in a, I don't know if it was a tweet the other day that, Toby's doing like his Danny Manning in 1988 Kansas impression leading like it's like a one man team, but he's like leading them through the tournament. He's just wiping everybody out. You've got, you know, bench with Bubba did very well. I mean, the independent podcasts are not to be, um, they're not to be uh, ignored. And, and I think 
that's been the thing that's been, I, I knew that I liked them. I didn't quite know how many people like them. And I, I just, I'm glad that we're putting, like I said, a shine on that. And then I'd say that the thing that hasn't surprised me, um, but it's just been phenomenal. The, my favorite part about it is the reason I started the whole Twitter handle in February. The reason I started the website is just, I really believe in, I love the fantasy baseball community. I think it's a real community. I think there are a lot of really good people in the community. And, um, and, and this tournament has only reinforced that. And it's just, and at a time when we're looking for signs of positivity and hope, it's really made my heart swell. I mean, speaking of road wire, I mean, Jeff Erickson in the first round, he went up against uh, you down with OBP podcast. Now this is a podcast. Now look, it's two guys. They went to college together and they take it seriously. They put their heart into it. They're not uh, just messing around, but they're just, they're two guys. Like they, they're just starting off. And Jeff invited them on the RotoWire podcast and gave them a national platform to discuss their pot. And because he's such a good person, I don't know him personally, but just the way he treats people seems to be such a good person. He treated them as a peer and a colleague, and that's what they are. And I just thought it would have been so easy for the, you know, someone like him to just kind of be, I don't know, just look down on them or even patronizing. He wasn't patronizing them at all. He treated them like a regular guest. And then you look at like, a, you know, the Enrico Palazzo podcast and, you know, they're doing like, doing like a, a, you know, halftime, uh, you know, speeches. And you go look at your, but your people on picture list and they're developing like really incredible graphic designs specifically for the tournament. So it's like everybody's just kind of getting into it and getting into the spirit of it. And there have been a couple of instances where some folks were like, you know, I think maybe some of the fans were taking a little bit too far, but in general, it's been fun. And, you know, you and I were on with Justin Mason the other day. And he's one of my favorite people. Uh, he's also uh, a bit of a character. And uh, he, um, you know, he tweeted, uh, he baited me so well. He tweeted like, hey, man, can't we all just get along in this tournament and have a good time? Some kind of like, you know, tweet to that extent. And I was like, responded, thank you, Justin. Like, finally, yeah, let's not, I don't want to get, get, get too hot and heavy over this stuff. This is just for fun. Let's not take it too seriously. And then the 30 seconds later after I tweeted that, he tweeted like an attack ad against whoever he was going against and accused them of using child labor in their podcast. I mean, it's, but that's, everybody's bringing their personality to it. That's Justin's personality. You know, we talked about Jeff earlier. That's his personality. I just love it. I love it all the way across the board. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like you said, say what you will about the amount of free time that everyone has right now, but more than 30,000 votes in the first two rounds, it kind of speaks for itself one way or another. So before we move on to kind of the meat and potatoes of this episode, I do, you know, of course, Chris is not going to participate in this, but we are a 10 seed tomorrow. We go up against the three seed pitcher list. They have had a, they have just steamrolled both of their opponents in the first and second round. They are, of course, they are nearing the very top of the mountain within this industry. I don't really think there's much arguing with that. And they've done it the right way. They've done it without pissing anybody off. That's, so there's that's, nothing, that's why they're so popular. Yeah, absolutely. So there's nothing at all. I said in the last episode, there's nothing negative to say about them. Nick does fantastic work. Alex does fantastic work. I use their content to my advantage. They have, of course, a massive writing staff who seems to put out quality content consistently. So there's no, you know, kind of poking holes in what they bring to the table. Now, that being said, I hope you vote for Prospects 360 <laughs> tomorrow. Let's rock the vote. Now, one of the things, per- perhaps the thing that most interests me about you, and perhaps you're about to correct me and call me completely wrong. Of course, we've talked about, or I've mentioned before in uh, the last episode of this podcast, you have created a Twitter following extremely quickly. You've created baseball-pods.com, and it seems as though it's kind of gaining steam very, very quickly. But what draws me to what you're doing, perhaps more than anything else, was the fact that I believe the very first thing you ever posted on your site was a Dynasty Prospect list. Well, yeah, one of them, one of the first articles. Yeah, so we are going to kind of dive in today. We are going to kind of look at the prospects, some of the prospects, in which there is a pretty large disparity Uh, compared to how you rank them and compared to how I 
rank them. You, uh, at the top of your prospect list, before you ever begin the rankings, you kind of go over and go through your ideology. Do you want to kind of quickly hit the yeah. bullet points here before we start? Yes, I mean, basically, this is going to be a list of uh, me being wrong and Ray being right, because he's the, he's, you guys are by far the, the, you know, you know a lot more about prospects than I do. I look at this very much from a dynasty league or a fantasy perspective. Um, one of the things, so, I mean, just very briefly about me, many years ago, like in the late 90s, I was a fantasy analyst. I wrote for couple of websites, mostly creative sports, and wrote for national magazines and loved it and then kind of got out of it uh, for family and professional purposes and recently decided to try to figure out how to jump back in. And Laura Michaels was the guy who really gave me my start. He's passed away. And like uh, we started a league named after um, Justin's Barf League in, uh, in, in the Bay Area. We started the Nerf League in New England, where I live. And uh, we uh, named it. I, if you go look at the site, you'll see the people who are going to participate in the league. It's a pretty, it's a list of heavy hitters. I'll tell you that. And uh, the the championship trophy is named after Laura. There's a little, you can see it there. But um, I, um, when you listen to all these podcasts, which I do, it's, I mean, I don't do it. I do it for entertainment. I do it for information, right? And uh, if I'm spending all these times, if I don't know a hell of a lot about fantasy baseball, I must not be listening very well, right? Um, and uh, so that's kind of the way that I bring my expertise. I have the fantasy analyst background, and I listen to all these pods. And then what I do is kind of break it down and filter it through my lens, and that's where my analysis comes from. In terms of pitching, in terms of the prospect aspect, it's one of, for me, prospect, getting into prospects in the last five to seven years has been one of my favorite aspects of fantasy. Whether it's dynasty leagues, I play auto new, I play all these different leagues where you really need to understand these guys. So I have a few rules I put at the top, Ray, as you saw, as you say, uh, on the Baseball Dash Pods website. One is just, you know, it's Paul Spore and Doug Thorburn's old show on Baseball Prospectus. One of my favorite old podcasts, there is no such thing as a pitching prospect. Uh, the second one is I always want my prospect arms specifically for that second, for that first reason to be close. I have, you could, you know, I have no interest in, in a high school pitcher when they come out. I don't care if it's, you know, the second coming of Brian Taylor, I still wouldn't take him. Um, this, the third thing is, and this is where I think you'll see a lot of difference in terms of our list name value matters. I don't acquire prospects just to play prospects, I acquire them to trade them. And so if you've got a big sexy name or like I'll have people higher on my list, I may have people higher on my list based just on name value where I know there's a player that I actually like more, but I'll be able to trade the name value, you know, a little bit more. And then I think one of the recent trends, and we've seen it more this year than ever, I mean, with the rise of Jason Dominguez and Eric Pena and others, is just you need to get in early. Uh, you got so you've got to take I just think you have to gamble on the upside early and then the last one for me which is very important is organizational context matters and that's not just to say there are good good organizations and bad organizations unlike when Moneyball was written or you know even more recently than that most of the prospects today like even the Orioles now seem to have like a head on the shoulders when it comes to prospects you know we, we always used to have, I'm a Yankees fan and you know we always used to trade all our players away it was a freaking Seinfeld episode <laughs> about it you know we traded Buter away for Ken Phelps so uh you know no one's really doing that anymore I think the major league front offices are much savvier but they still do have philosophies and some of the philosophies are actually very good for real baseball but terrible for in my opinion for fantasy owners so those are the five big rules that I look at uh that will that, that I think influence my rankings uh, I hate pitchers, basically. Uh, only take them uh, if they're really close. Uh, sexiness over productivity. Uh, you need to get in early, so get in on those youngsters. And you got to look at how the organization's going to play their players and how it's going to impact your team. That is fantastic insight. So, obviously, a dynasty-focused prospect list. Uh, I love what you said at the beginning of kind of your philosophy at the top of your rankings. It's you said, you know, other people, people in the industry who publish their prospect lists, most of us don't really pay much attention to other lists as we're creating ours. We want to be as original as possible. Yep. We don't really wait other lists when we are considering kind of our construction of our list. You kind of went in the reverse. Yep. You, said, you know, I want to absorb as much information as I can. 
you self-admittedly, you're like, you know, I'm not a professional at this. I play dynasty baseball and I absorb a shit ton of content. <laughs> and because I do that, I'm going to take all of these different factors into consideration. And that is how I'm going to go about kind of creating my dynasty list. I really like the detail that you went into. I think it gives readers it, you know, it sets the expectations. It kind of, you know, readers know what they're getting when they read your prospect list. Your kind of your ideologies and you numbered them uh, at the top of the article that is reflected in your prospect list. And we're going to talk about some of that as we talk about the prospects in which there's a pretty large gap between the way that you rank them and the way that I rank them. The first one is Jared Oliva, a center field prospect for the Pirates. He had a pretty good season last year in double-A. Then he really popped in the Arizona Fall League. You ranked him – hold on now. You ranked him 25th. Mm-hmm. I have him 137th. So, with this being the first guy, I'll go first. I am not sure how trusty the hit tool is. And, of course, he's going to bring game-changing speed to the table. Even at the big league level, he's not going to have to hit 260, 270 to provide the double-digit stolen bases. I will readily admit that. In my opinion, in a dynasty league, of course, he's got a decent real-life floor because the expectation is he's going to be able to stick in center field. Now there is that hole within the Pirates organization that should allow him to uh, kind of take hold at the big league level when he's ready. But for me, I'm not sure that, you know, if you pair in the big league level, if you pair 250 with a single digit amount of home runs, maybe he gets to 10 or 15, depending on the offensive environment at the time he debuts. Even if you pair 250, 10 home runs with somewhere between 20 to 30 stolen bases, I'm not sure that that, is just a tremendous amount of upside. I remain cautious because I feel like, you know, after I published my list and I was checking out other lists, I kind of felt as though he received a little bit too much of a bump from the Arizona Fall League. Uh, So in retrospect, I'm glad that I was kind of more on the cautious side with him. I, of course, will, I suspect, you know, if the minor league season is normal this summer, he should get promoted to AAA, which means they'll be using the MLB ball. If it's the same ball from last year, we're hoping, hopefully we'll see an increase in power output. What was kind of your thoughts behind the aggressive ranking with Oliva? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, you hit a lot of the, a lot of the points. First of all, uh, he's got opportunity, right? I mean, uh, Pittsburgh, first of all, he's got opportunity because Pittsburgh doesn't have anyone better to play. Second of all, he's got opportunity because Pittsburgh needs to show that they got something back, right? They need, especially the the utter train wreck that is the trade that sent Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now and Shane Baz for Chris Archer to Tampa Bay. It is it has become like the you know I think it's a, I think it's well known throughout the industry. Pittsburgh made another deal. Now they've got Oliva, and the thing about Oliva, he well, and so he's he's there. And they want to show that they've got youngsters that they can bring up and do good with. So I think they're going to be in a place where they want to show that the players they got in and the players that they have developed in their own organization are that they're rebuilding. So like, I just feel like that's part of where they're going to be going. That's number one. So anybody that's in their organization that's young, they're going to come up and they want to show that they're not the same team that made that mistake in the past. The second thing about Oliva is he's got speed. He's actually seen, I mean, he showed a decent batting eye in the fall league. So I think he's like, he's like a leadoff hitter. So at bats, I think are one of the most underrated commodities in uh, major league baseball. And he, uh, he should get those in Pittsburgh. And then I think he's got, I mean, he's shown some pull power before. Um, I mean, at least in the scouting reports that I've read and heard about, it isn't hasn't shown up in the game yet. But given you hit the nail on the head with that AAA ball, major league ball, maybe he actually hits. So I just feel like Pittsburgh's going to want to, you know, with the, the the prospects that they've got in their organization, the prospects that they're bringing in, he's like the new face of the organization. When they traded uh, away uh, Starling, you know, they got in a couple of other guys that they're going to want to pull up to. And, I mean, I, I like – I'm, I'm not in much deeper level I've taken a, 
I like that I've taken shots on them because I think that Pittsburgh has to show that they are not the same organization that devalues prospects. So it's kind of, it's a mixture of, he's pretty close to the major leagues already. Yep. Your perception of his hit tool is a little bit higher than mine and that's fine. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and you, you perceive his real life floor as being high, a little bit higher than I do because you are of the belief that Pittsburgh is going to push these youngsters through, give them every opportunity to succeed at the big league level to kind of prove, you know, we've moved past the, our past catastrophes and we're going to build young. And Oliva is that guy. I said it center field defense. Uh, he's going to bring speed to the table, no matter how often he's able to get on base. The, kind of the next step or maybe even the last step is to control or is to show a, a consistent ability to get on base and to show even a passable amount of power, even if it's fringe average, you know, his knock has always been, his swing is really flat. It was flat uh, in college. It's been flat throughout the minor leagues. There was kind of a thought amongst some people who got to see him multiple times in the AFL that maybe there is a little bit uh, – there's been an increase in kind of the linear path in his swing, which should kind of correlate, hopefully, with an increase in power, especially now that he should debut in AAA to start the 2020 season. The second prospect we're talking about is also probably the one amongst this group who I find the most interesting as far as the disparity in Chris's rank and my rank. Now, of course, Chris already took you through kind of the name value prioritization in his prospect list. So the person that we're about to talk about, if I had to guess, kind of epitomizes that ideology. Chris ranked Luis Angel Acuna 41st on his dynasty prospect list. I had him all the way back at 160. So, Chris, I'm guessing that the name brand uh, giving Acuna the boost in dynasty leagues, that's kind of what you're prioritizing here. Yeah, I think it hits on a couple of my the rules we talked about in the beginning. It's not only the name brand, um, it's also that, uh, you know, he is someone you got to get in early on. So it's both. He's 18. He flashed really loud tools. Um, he's actually shown, you know, in the limited time that, that we've seen him in, a pretty decent batting eye on top of, you know, a little bit of power. Um, but the fact that he's got a better batting eye than his brother did at this, at this age is, uh, is something. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, it's the name, it's the name and that you want to get in early. Uh, I feel like if he does anything when we open up and you know, when he's playing, if he, he's, he's just going to shoot up lists, um, across the industry, uh, whether or not it's yours or others. And to your point though, I look at a lot of different lists and I, I see different, the way different people rank. And um, I just think that if he if he has any kind of production at all, he's going to shoot up um, most lists. I would also say, and I, I agree, it's super aggressive. But um, the other thing, I, you know, I saw his. I was lucky to see his brother play actually in Pawtucket, um, in Rhode Island, uh, and the Paw Sox, and uh, was sitting. Uh, got. To, I'm not. I don't go. Like I said, I'm not a scout. I don't go to a lot of games, but. Um, I do. I did grow up on minor league baseball, for the record. So that's one of the reasons I think I love the scouting and the prospects. So I lived in a secondary city. We didn't have major league teams, but uh, the um, I will tell you, I sat with his family. Uh, not not like his mom, his dad, anything, but his his extended family, right behind home plate, watching him play. And you could just see uh, Ronald with the way he just moved in a very different way, and the way you know you, when you know that that it factor that prospects have when they're just the game just seems slower for them than everybody else. Like they just seem like they're just smooth and easy. And uh, that was one of the most impressive athletes I've seen in watching. I've watched hundreds of minor league games, but uh, if his brother's anything like it, I'll take the shot. Yeah, absolutely. My dad uh, actually watches quite a bit of minor league baseball. He's a traveling salesman. Uh, so he, he watches a lot of Tennessee Smokies games in kind of the middle East Tennessee he, he's always had this saying, and he kind of got this after watching Chris Bryant come through and Javi Baez come through. You can watch kind of the first two innings of a minor league game, and you know the player – like, you know the best player on the field. Like, yep. you can spot him within the first couple of, couple of innings in the game. He kind of created that thought from watching Javi Baez and Chris Bryant. I, the first time that really hit me, 
I, you know, was watching Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, in Double A in 2017 before I even launched Prospects365.com. Uh, my wife is a gigantic Braves fan. We went to the Mississippi Braves. They were in Jackson, Tennessee, playing the Jackson Generals. And it took, I think, Ronald's first at bat. He went down 0-2. He spit on two sliders that barely missed the zone. He basically threw his bat at the 2-2 pitch and got a single up the middle. He stole second base. He stole third base, and he scored on a sacrifice fly. Then in the very next half inning, a ball is kind of hit into the gap. I think Acuna is playing left field, if memory serves me correctly. He catches it on a short hop, sliding at the third base line, gets up and throws a cannon to second base and gets the runner out. And that's when I looked at Jenna and I said, Jenna, he is the best player on this field. You know, that's, that's what these types of players do. It's one of the joys. It's one of the joys of going to the games. I'll tell you that most of the time, I'll be honest with you, most of the time that works out, the last time I saw it, like I said, I don't go to a lot of minor league games now, not the way I used to. But the last time I saw someone like that was Hanley Ramirez in Portland with the Red Sox. Yeah. And you were just watching this guy and you were like, wow. And then a long time ago, and this will date me, the player that I think I thought had the, the greatest skills that just never panned out was Jeffrey Hammonds. Uh, for the Baltimore Orioles many years ago. He was a five-tool stud in the minors. I saw him in Rochester, and my God, I thought, this guy's going to be a Hall of Famer, no doubt. But it didn't quite work out. (laughs) Oh, you know, talking, knowing John Calvagno, who uh, created Notes from the Sally, now he writes for Prospects 365, being really good friends with Ralph Lifshitz from Prospects Live, we have had so many conversations about the – amount of talent that has come through the Red Sox system in oh, the past yeah. decade. It is insane, especially because, you know, Calvagno was able to catch all of the pre-trade prospects, your uh, Michael Kopech, your Yoan Moncada, in Greenville before they were traded. Just an absolute ridiculous amount of talent. I'll say this about Luis Angel Acuna. I'm a little bit worried because of his frame. He's, yeah. he's pretty small. You know, Ronald Acuna Jr., Ronald Acuna, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. is not your prototypical-looking baseball player. Like, yeah. he's not your Mike Trout. He's certainly not your Aaron Judge. He kind of just looks like a normal guy. He's not overly muscular, but he's just so quick twitch and explosive. Quick twitch. I think that Luis Angel might be quick twitch and explosive, but he's doing it from a frame that is 30 pounds lighter and either two or three inches shorter, and I'm not sure how much bigger Luis Angel is going to get. I have also become so pessimistic about putting too much weight into stats from the DSL. Uh, You know, the average fastball velocity last summer in the DSL, I believe, was 87 miles an hour. Now, of course, you have your prospects like a Luis Angel Acuna. We're about to talk about Luis Matos, uh, your uh, Marcel Urbina for the Twins. Those types of guys, they, they jump onto your radar because of, Things like their plate discipline, stolen base output, and their on-base skills in a league like the DSL. I think in this point of my evaluation, I have just kind of gotten to the point where even if it means that I'm not going to have many shares of these guys in my dynasty leagues, I just I want them to prove it to me stateside at least a little bit before I'm kind of willing to push my chips to the center of the table. I love what you said about – Acuna is not going to have to give us 600 plate appearances of solid stats in order for him to shoot up lists. I kind of am the same way with Noel Bay Marte. Yep. Uh, and, you know, Noel Bay is – He's got a body. Almost everywhere he is ranked even higher already than Luis Angel is. And to think about the fact that once we get just a little bit of validation from Noel Bay Marte – when he debuts stateside, whenever that is, whenever we can get eyes on him, because who knows what the 2020 minor league season is going to look like. But it's not going to take too much in order for him to be a consensus top 20 prospect, in my opinion. And I think you were uh, hinting at it a second ago. He has got the body of someone who is going – you look at him and you think, okay, I see 30 home run potential in that body. And then you look at the scouting reports and you see 70-grade speed And it doesn't really matter that he's not fantastic at shortstop yet. It doesn't really matter that his hit tool is not as refined as Julio Rodriguez's was uh, this time last year. You just kind of see the potential. So I am all the way with you there that once Luis Angel Acuna debuts stateside, it is not going to take too much for him to really 
skyrocket up list, especially due to his last name. The last prospect that we're going to talk about in which you have ranked them substantially higher than I have is Luis Matos for the, for the Giants. Uh, Matos absolutely crushed the, the Dominican Summer League last summer. He finished uh, the season in the Arizona League. The Giants kind of rewarded him for a job well done in the DSL. He got a small sample amount of plate appearances in the Arizona League. Right now, Chris ranks uh, Matos 26th. I rank Matos 127th. (laughs) Listen listen to Ray, everybody. (laughs) I think out of the three prospects that we have talked about so far, I think a year from now, if we look back at your 2020 list and my 2020 list, if I had to put money on one of the prospects, you being absolutely correct on, I think it's Matos. I think that from, you know, he's not – going to impress you much physically he's he's well built but he's kind of small in stature uh i think he kind of has the loudest raw tools of the three prospects we've talked about in jared oliva luis angel acuna and now matos i do think there is a potential for plus raw power despite the small frame Uh, you know there's really really good reports on the speed that he's shown so far Mm -hmm. so I think he's another one of those guys a little bit more conservatively for me than Noel de Marte it's not going to take much in the Arizona League or at the complex this summer for him to say you know for me to say you know this is a guy who needs to be in my top 100 and if memory serves me correctly looking at other lists I am a little bit more conservative uh, on Matos than most other lists right now. I'm ready to fully admit that, and I'll be ready to take my L a year from now if I should have ranked him uh, higher in retrospect. I'm guessing that Matos is a guy for you that you know on your list, and you prioritize this, you know that if you're not in right now, you're not going to be able to get in at the ground level a year from now. Is that right? That's 100% right. And the other thing, like, so it's interesting. You mentioned Marte, who actually I have at 16. Um, you know, Matos, from what I can tell, is a body kind of similar to Luis Angel, right? I mean, they're probably about the same size, but uh, his, his, his hit tool seems loud. And uh, the Giants, so this is also about, you'll see a lot of Giants. I'm probably higher on most Giants prospects as a whole than almost anyone else. Uh, your Hunter this, Bishop this, rank stuck out to me, too. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's because um, it's because uh, you know, what I talked about earlier about the organ, their organization is prioritizing, you know, that bat speed tool, which I think has, it's the, it's a tool I look for, for the biggest upside. Um, And uh, Amatos has uh, elite contact skills though, too, from, you know, all the scouting reports that I read. And so he's an 18 year old. He didn't have coming into the, um, you know, the international signing class. He didn't have, like, Marco Luciano, who obviously I'm in love with. Uh, if you've been listening at all for, like, the last five minutes, you couldn't figure that out. Marte or, like, Arelvis Martinez or others, or even Pena. He didn't have, like, that big uh, bonus. He, But, you know, he did um, – he kind of came out and has just been crushing it. And, um, I, I, I'm like I said, I'm definitely higher on the Giants because I think that, um, first of all, they have pulled together this group of just – and I like Helio Ramos too. Um, all these hitters um, that have this great bat speed, and uh, and they're kind of creating. There's going to be no one in San Francisco. Buster's going to retire. One of my favorite uh, late sleepers every year. If you ever in a draft with me, I always try to grab Brandon Belt. But even the even the baby draft's going to be gone. So like the 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 deck's going to be cleared for these guys. And in two two to three years, I think you're going to see a good amount of them at the big league level. And uh, I like the way that they're trying to build a type of player. And uh, so it's, it's not just that you got to get in early. It's that I, I like the Giants approach. So I'm believing in, I'm, I'm kind of putting my marker down that a lot of these hitters are going to come through that San Francisco has, uh, has drafted uh, under the current regime. Yeah. Kind of sticking your neck out there on Giants prospects. I like it. You said uh, that Matos and Acuna kind of have similar bodies. Uh, they kind of both, when you look at them, they kind of strike me like almost like a slot receiver in football. Yep. Uh, I do think that Matos is a little bit more filled out than Acuna. I kind of just look at Acuna and I'm a little underwhelmed. I don't really see all that much projection. That's why I'm more apt to be 
uh, a little bit more conservative with his ranking now. Matos is certainly a guy, I think, that even if I were to adjust, I think I'm going to do a podcast episode by myself in the near future, and I'm going to talk about some of the kind of small tweaks that I would make from the time I released my prospect list on my site to now. Because, you know, there's a whole lot of people on Twitter who are saying, how can your list be different there? We haven't seen any minor league baseball. Well, a lot of kind of your people who have established themselves in this industry, and I hope that I fall into that category. You know, here lately, I've been having conversations with people who got to see prospects during minor league spring training. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was, I had a 30 minute phone conversation with my main Orioles contact uh, earlier last week. Yep. And I got some information on Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. Uh, you know, I always pester him because I, you know, ranking those two are, is really important to me to get that right, especially since they're in the same organization. But, you know, having that new information, kind of seeing, you know, what an offseason in the weight room, how it kind of looked on the field during bullpens, during simulated games, things like that. So I think that's an interesting topic for a podcast in my near future. Uh, but, you know, just as you know, uh, even, com you know, creating your list, there is an infinite amount of things that you have to take into account as you create these dynasty folks. No, I agree. And just going back to uh, Acuna, just to be clear, I probably should have said it. If his last name wasn't Acuna, he'd be 25 spots lower on the list. I mean, for me, he's – I, I view – I do not view him as – I view him as more of a – a trade ship than anything else, but he's shown enough and he's got the, the pedigree and, you know, someone in his, fa you know, family matters and look at the Toronto blue Jays <laughs> if you don't think it does. So uh, for me, I, I, I just from raw raw, I mean, he's higher on the list anyway, but Matos, I'm much more excited about like him as a guy that I would keep and hold. Whereas uh, Louis on is more of a, you know, let him do a little something and, uh, and then boom, you know, move him. Yeah, for sure. So I want to talk about another facet of kind of your philosophy and ideology, and that is self-admittedly, you are extremely conservative with all pitching prospects. Yep. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's the top 29 prospects on your list are all position playing. Correct. Top-rated pitching prospect is not even until number 30 yep. on your list. And that's, real, that's a really interesting caveat of your list that we don't really see anywhere else. And the two names that really stuck out to me the most, I mean, of course, everyone sticks out when, you know, Mackenzie Gore ranks third for me. And you don't have a pitching prospect until number he's 30. 30. But he's my number one guy. <laughs> so, of course, everyone is going to stick out. But two people in particular kind of stuck out to me. You have Casey Mize ranked 53rd. Yep. I had him 18th. Now, the reason that Casey Mize stuck out to me is you're more liable or you're more led to give a pitching prospect, I guess, kind of the benefit of the doubt if they're closer to the big leagues and you yeah. say that in your philosophy. So in my estimation, if McKenzie Gore ranks 30th and you ranked Mize 53rd, you're not giving Mize that same benefit of the doubt. So are we just to kind of take it that you're low on Mize? I mean, yeah, also, I mean, I've, first of all, my ranking of pitching prospects like this comes from years of being burned by pitching prospects. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, nothing against pitchers. I love them. I'm more obsessed with them probably than anyone else. But uh, I can't, you know, tell you how many, you know, shares of Yadier Alvarez I had or, you know, <laughs> or other guys that were supposed to be the next great thing and just didn't pan out or the guy like Lucas Giolito that you traded everything to have and then he looked like he was, you know, dead and you cut him and then someone picked him up for free so was it you in a live stream here recently that we were both on was it you who said that you couldn't wait to get your hands on future value was that you or was that someone else no it wasn't me i don't think okay. in future value uh i published oh yeah no no the book the book future value absolutely yes that was yeah me. uh there is an interesting excerpt in the book about yadier yadier alvarez really he was, oh, okay, wait. He was kind of up and coming the very first prospect list that I ever published. So he was really kind of the first unrefined ball of clay pitching prospect that I overranked. So he's kind of that valuable lesson. He was the first kind of valuable lesson to me from a pitching prospect. It was really interesting that you mentioned him. 
Yeah, and that, yeah. Well, he's he's. Uh, I, I love the guy. I loved everything about him. Like, so uh, back to Mize though. For me, it's just about the fact that he was shut down, and I just couldn't find a good answer. And other people may have one already. So if 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 he if he you know comes back and he's strong, he'd jump up the list. So into my first group of pitchers, uh, I like Manning more than Mize, but um, uh, you know, I have a group of pitchers. I think it's about six or seven or eight, maybe, maybe it's 10. I don't know. Starting with Mackenzie Gore and any, no, sir, it's about seven. Ending with Dustin May, he'd be up in that group. So the only reason that I dropped him down was because the last, and, and maybe there's new information you have that I don't, but I just, I didn't like, um, you know, with pitchers, it's all about, you know, getting hurt. And Mize, I have heard, although I haven't heard it from a good enough source, that it's something that it's, it's in the back of my mind. It's not in the front of my mind that he had a, a, a delivery and or a build that some people had some concerns about in terms of being injury prone. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I really miss uh, Doug Thorburn. You know, now he does the Baseball Holics Anonymous podcast with Sammy Reed. He uh, and Spore used to put out that SP guide. and. Doug's analysis of, uh, you know, mechanics, I learned so much from and just really appreciated it. I'm sure there are other people, you may do it, other people do it. That was the, it was probably written, like I was a dummy, so it was written for me so I could like get it. You know, uh, whenever I read, I read some of these prospect reports and they're a little over my head. I just missed that, that, that guide because it was put in a fantasy context, but it included those mechanics. So I'm looking forward to, um, more and more websites really breaking it down for people like me that aren't scouts so that I can, uh, I can understand that. But yeah, so my, for me, if, if you told me right now, Hey, Chris, Mize pitched uh, in spring and uh, he looked great and he threw any, he threw a bunch of innings and he's hundred percent to go from the start of the season. He'd probably jump up 10 or 15 spots. Yeah. Mize and Manning are your classic case of floor versus ceiling amongst pitching prospects. Then you kind of, taking into consideration Mize's uh, injury history, which he had extensively at Auburn. He's had it since he was drafted first overall. Definitely something that you can no longer not take into consideration. It has to be part of your evaluation. I believe I had Mize, if memory serves me correctly, I had Mize 18th and Manning 19th. Uh, I, you know, just kind of some of the smaller, finer points. I want to see Matt Manning not slow his arm down when he throws his curveball and his changeup. It hasn't mattered in the minor leagues. I, I'm skeptical that it will matter in the big league. So just kind of your finer points. But, of course, two of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball. Last one, uh, Grayson Rodriguez did not make your top 99. He ranked 50th for me. I'm guessing just – you're the pitching prospect under rank, of course, but also further away from the big leagues. Uh, more the Orioles than the big leagues, and this is where you may. This is where he could jump up. Same, so could DL Hall. I mean, I saw a, a joke the other day about you know when a draft an Orioles pitcher named DL, but um, the uh, these two guys clearly both have talent. People like you and others that I've read have, have very high opinions of them. They think that uh, you know. They're going to do very well eventually. I just, first of all, uh, Camden's a tough place to pitch, number one. And I, I lived in Baltimore just for, for 10 years. I love the city. It's one of my favorite places. My three sons were born there. So uh, this is not because I'm like a Yankees fan or anything like that. I don't let that interfere. In fact, I try not to draft Yankees, if anything, because they can break my heart twice. Um, but, uh, but Grayson, um, it's not so much that he's so far away, uh, although that would also bring him, push him down a little bit. It's just more that Baltimore – you know, has yet hasn't dra- hasn't developed a, a pitching prospect in a very long time of any of any caliber, and it's a tough place to learn, and it's a tough. It tends to be a tough division to pitch in. When the Yankees are the Yan- Yankees are going to Yankees, Red Sox are going to Red Sox, and Tampa is the most underrated franchise in professional sports. Um, and those and you know, look, and then you got the Baby Jays. I mean, it's just God. That's a tough place to come into, in a. You know, and it gets hot in Baltimore in the summer, and that ball flies out. So uh, I think he's probably a very talented individual. This has something to do with team context in terms of their inability to, to develop, and also team context in terms of a, not a good home ballpark, and also a ter- the, the worst uh, for me, the worst division in baseball to come up at as a pitcher. So I'm hopeful that the Orioles hiring Mike Elias yep. from the Astros. I am hopeful that that was day one of kind of ushering in a new philosophy within that organization. 
Uh, I got to see both Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. I have D.L. Hall ranked higher right now. I got to see both of them at the Futures game in Cleveland. I was impressed. But, of course, it's one inning. You know, all the pitchers through one inning. It's not really a justifiable sample size. You just kind of look at mechanics and things like that. I am hopeful that D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez officially are the pitching prospects that someday get us away from the mindset of the Orioles haven't developed that pitching prospect talent in a while. Because right now, you're absolutely correct. I will say, if I do that episode of uh, the podcast by myself where I kind of talk about the way I would tinker with my rankings between the time I published my list and now, Grayson Rodriguez is going to be the, my focal point of kind of what I talk about just based on some information that I received last week that will kind of make your jaw drop. I, I'm not going to talk about it here. I'll kind of hold on to that for now. Nice. Uh, but, of course, you know, Camden Yards is a huge hitter's park, especially the warmer that it gets. Uh, like you said, both Hall and Rodriguez, Rodriguez are both immensely talented. I do think kind of your smaller pitching prospects within that organization, a Dean Creamer, a Zach Lother, I think they can both be back-end guys. But at the end of the day, it's going to be your D.L. Hall, it's going to be your Grayson Rodriguez that are going to have to be the ones to kind of ruin that stereotype around the way that the Orioles develop their pitching prospects. So, so far, we have discussed – uh, the your biggest takeaways from your bracketology fantasy baseball podcast bracketology tournament. We discussed five different prospects in which there is a great disparity and variance between the way that you rank them on your dynasty prospect list and the way that I rank them on my uh, prospect list. The last thing that I want to talk about, and I'm doing this because you listened to the, my last episode of this podcast and you posted it on your Twitter account. And, and I told you, I DM'd you and, you <laughs> said, and I said that you left off a huge part of what I talked about. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to heap praise and Brown knows you right now, but I am going to say that you launched your Twitter account. You started at baseball pods on Twitter two months ago in February, 2020. Yep. And you already have a notable Twitter following. And of course the bracketology, the fantasy baseball bracketology tournament has done nothing of course, but help that. You have also recently launched baseball-pods.com. You have prospect content on there. You have redraft content on there and kind of your philosophy and ideology of what you hope to hear when you listen to baseball driven podcasts. Mm-hmm. So my question, I guess really the last question of this episode, what is kind of, what's the end game for what you're trying to do both from a Twitter account and from a site standpoint? Well, I mean, I don't really have like you, you, when I listen to you, it's, I mean, you're like clearly driven and have a, you know, you've got um, a vision you've put together a huge group of talented writers, um, you know, you're clearly a coach you know, haven't been a baseball coach myself like it comes through um and like this is uh, the uh, the passion that you bring to the game is and and your website and and your writing and and you know your your personal story it's you know it's another level for me i'm just a guy that like uh i have uh i've wanted to give back to the community and i felt like i love the community i've always have i felt it's been welcoming um, and, uh, I felt like there's so many people like you and others that are doing this great work and they don't have, uh, you know, NBC or CBS or ESPN, you know, backing them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like I, I, I love the guys. I love listening to those big podcasts and I love the fact that, you know, they've got, they've got a lot of, uh, amazing people on those. This is nothing against them. But uh, for me, it was just one of those situations where um, I was like, I love this whole community. And I bet that there are a lot of people who just don't know all the good stuff that's going on. And so that's why I started the, the Twitter account. And I don't have like a huge amount of followers yet. Um, but what I was really pleased with was the, pe- the caliber of the people who are following me. And by that, I just mean like, it's not just the blue check marks. It's the people who are doing the work in the industry on a regular basis. It's all the writers, they're interacting. It's a lot of the big NFBC players, they're interacting. 
And, you know, and it's all these different people coming together. So I, I joke with Justin, that I, uh, Justin Mason, that I started the website because he told me I had to. Not only to just kind of, because he was like, dude, you got to build your brand, but also because he said that's the only way I'd get into TGFBI next year. So, you know, you, you know, hey, I'm a competitive guy. I want to, I want to get in TGFBI. I want to cut, you know, cut my teeth against the big boys. And, um, you know, so I started my own industry league, like I said, a New England one with some pretty heavy hitters that will draft whenever baseball's back. Um, but, you know, it's a good place for me just to continue to promote podcasts. For me, I'm, I'm more about promoting the good work, the, the wet, if you if you want to go to baseball dash pods, there's an article raised referenced a couple of times called Maps. It's my tongue in cheek five tools for a fantasy baseball podcast. M is for in season management. A is for analytics. The first P is for personality. The second P is for prospects, and the S is for strategy. And so those are the five tools you can go read about it there. For me, I'm just I don't have the same kind of I would say uh, drive uh, and singular focus that you have. I'm just trying. I love the community of fantasy baseball, and uh, I think that um, we can do a lot better uh, as a country building community. One of the things I love is I can tell from other people's tweets that I've got people on the far left and the far right, and we can still have a conversation about uh, you know, uh, you know about uh, about whether Colton Wong is going to be a good leadoff hitter this year, right? I mean, like that. Uh, it's one of the great things about baseball to me. It's, it's one of the most fundamentally American things. Uh, I've always loved it my whole life. I miss it like hell right now. And I just love the, the unlike a lot of other portion, parts of baseball, fan, in the fantasy community, most people that I see treat each other with dignity and respect and as a community, and there's a, a kind of mutual respect there. And that's what I'm about promoting. So whatever I can do to do that, I'll keep on doing it. Um, hopefully people, may, hey, maybe people will come read the um, the website and it'll blow up a little bit. Um, I'll probably continue to write and maybe I'll just start writing. Uh, maybe I'll get back in the magazine game or some other game. I don't know. We'll see where this, where, where it takes me, but this is a passion project for me. And it's just like, it's been fortuitous that it's blown up. I'm humbled um, by people like you that have taken a shine to it and uh, anything I can do to promote other people's work. That's what I'll keep on doing. I think that deserves like an amen. Of sorts. <laughs> if you were listening to this and you need a concrete kind of example of the work that Chris has done so far. I just pulled up while he was talking, I pulled up the uh, contact or I'm sorry, the about prospects 365 tab on our website. We had been a Twitter account now, not prospect, not at prospects 365 the entire time, but I had had a Twitter account for around a year and I had not yet accrued 1000 followers. Chris has had at baseball pods for literally two months, people, two months. Yep. And he's already over a thousand followers. I think that's a testament to the amount, the, of course, the interest that people have in what he's publishing, but also the quality of the content that he tweets. Of course, the uh, fantasy baseball podcast tournament that he's put together. And of course, the content that he is publishing on his site. So a quick run through of what all we have talked about on episode 10 of this podcast. We talked about kind of our biggest takeaways from the fantasy baseball bracketology tournament that is uh, being hosted through his Twitter account at baseball pods. One more time, make sure you vote for the Cinderella story prospects <laughs> five tomorrow in the sweet 16. I promise you every vote is going to count. We talked about five different prospects that Chris and I, ranked pretty differently on his prospect list this preseason and my prospect list. We talked about Jared Oliva, Luis Angel Acuna, Luis Matos, Casey Mize, and Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, lastly, we touched on kind of what Chris's long-term goals and kind of the end point where he wants to get to uh, in this industry. And that is important for, if for no other reason than the fact that he has built such a extremely quick and large gathering for only kind of really being in the industry for just a couple of months now. Uh, Chris, anything you want to plug or promote before we let these folks go? Well, I hope everyone votes tomorrow, especially, uh, you know, we're doing the, uh, the whole sweet 16 tomorrow, you know, uh, in the tournament. So I hope everyone votes, you know, and uh, I think that'll be fun. And then just make sure that uh, you understand that you should listen to everything Ray says about prospects and ignore me. <laughs> oh, whatever. He is Chris. You can follow him on Twitter at Baseball Pods. That's B-A-S-E-B-A-L-L-P-O-D-S. You should also 
check out his newly launched website, baseball-pods.com. A lot of great stuff on his Twitter account, a lot of great stuff on his website. I am Ray Butler. You can follow me on Twitter at Prospects365. This has been episode 10. We finally reached the double-digit amount of podcast episodes with much, much more in the very near future. We will talk to you soon.